0: All right. So this morning we begin our study in Bibliology, or the doctrine of the Scriptures, as you can see up here on the on the screen. Um, Desmond and I will be uh, teaching this topic, Lord willing, over the next seventeen weeks or so. And what I wanted to do this morning, uh, before we kind of dive into our introduction, is for you to take a look at the syllabus. I just want to kind of outline for you where we're planning on heading over the next seventeen weeks. This morning, we're going to just simply introduce this topic and talk about why this topic is important for us to study and also uh, the benefit of giving ourselves to the study of God's Word. And then next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at the different forms of the Word of God, uh, being the form of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And We'll look at the verbal as it was spoken, and then the written, as we have it laid before us. Uh, The next three weeks or so, we're going to be looking at the canon of Scripture, what it is that belongs in the Bible and what does not belong in the Bible, and how the 66 books that we have were compiled, and things of that nature. Uh, Following that, we'll begin a study on the four characteristics of Scripture. We'll be looking at the characteristic of authority for a couple weeks, Um, And under the topic of authority, you can see there on your outline, we're going to spend about four lessons looking at the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, Does the Bible contain any errors? That's obviously going to affect the authority of it, if there is. And that is a vitally important topic in this day and age, is that inerrancy is under attack. We'll then spend a week looking at the clarity of the Bible. Is the Bible clear enough for even the babe in Christ to understand the contents of it, or is it only biblical scholars who can truly understand the Word? Uh, after that, we'll spend a couple weeks looking at the necessity of Scripture. And under that category, we're going to think about what, what purposes, for what purposes is the Bible necessary? Um, how can people... Or how much can people know about God without the Bible? And then the last characteristic that we'll look at will be the sufficiency of Scripture. Is the Bible enough? Is it sufficient for knowing what God wants us to think or do? Are are people still receiving revelation from God today? That's an important topic. So we'll spend some time looking at that one. The second to last week, we'll look at uh, the topic of hermeneutics, how we are to study the Bible so that we can come to a con- correct interpretation of it. And then finally, the last week of our study, Desmond and I will be doing a Q&A on questions that you submit pertaining to our study. So that's where, that's where we're headed. Um I also want to say that the majority of the information that we're going to be looking at and dealing with is taken from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Um, So that's going to be the basis of our study, and we're going to be pulling in all kinds of different stuff along with it. But the the majority of the material we're going to interact with uh, what Grudem lays out in his Systematic Theology just does so well in outlining it and keeping things uh, very, very clear. All right, with that, let's begin by asking the question of why we should study this topic. Um, that's on the back side of your sheet there, and you can jot down some notes as we, uh, as we go along. One of the main reasons that's it's important to study this topic is because God's Word is and always has been under attack. The, the package of men tampering with and challenging God's Word changes throughout the centuries, but the product does not, right? Men are always trying to get their hands on the word of God, to twist it, to show how they think it's not authoritative. Uh, You've probably seen the innumerable amount of documentaries of why the Bible's not true on the History Channel or something like that, but interestingly, you never see things like why the Quran is not true, why the Book of Mormon is not true, right? Right? It's always an attack on the truth of God's word, um, and that is because man loves darkness and hates light, and he wants to get that away from him. But let's just look at the very beginning here where we see at the very outset of creation, somebody can read here in Genesis 2:16 and 17 for us. Okay, so there's, there's the command that God gives to Adam. And then shortly thereafter, here's what happens. Genesis 3, 1 through 5, if somebody would like to read that for us.
1: Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil.
0: Okay, so there you have a direct attack on the word of God right at the very beginning. Did God actually say, challenging the authority and the clarity of what God had said, and then twisting and showing around, okay, God did say that, but here's why he said it, right? So, Satan brings in his own hermeneutic here and tries to interpret the word of God for Adam and Eve. And so we see that right at the very beginning, attacks happen on the word of God, the authority of God speaking. Now, what attacks do we see on the Bible today? One would be, and I'm just going to name a couple here, there's more than this, but one would be postmodernism, which essentially says that there is no universal truth, right? What's true for you is true for you, but not necessarily for all mankind. That's good that that's what you believe and that's a truth for you, but that doesn't mean it's a truth for everybody else. That this mindset that is so prevalent in our day, it really calls into question the authority of God's word. When God's word becomes so clear and makes statements like this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, that's true for everybody, but not everybody would agree with that truth. And a kind of subset of postmodernism is liberalism, which, unfortunately, is also far too common in many churches, not just the world, which we'll look at here in a second. Uh, This this mindset believes that you can't really take the word of God too seriously because it's inaccurate in certain places and outdated in other areas. There was an interesting... uh, article in Newsweek about a decade ago, and I'm going to go, to, go ahead and uh, read this for you. Okay, so this is an editorial in the news, Newsweek. Let's try for a minute to take the religious conservatives, that's us by the way, at their word and define marriage as the Bible does. Shall we look at Abraham, the great patriarch who slept with his servant when he discovered his beloved wife Sarah was infertile? or to Jacob, who fathered children with four different women, two sisters and their servants. Abraham, Jacob, David, Solomon, and the kings of Judah and Israel, all these fathers and heroes were polygamists. The New Testament model of marriage is hardly better. Jesus himself was single and preached an indifference to earthly attachments, especially family. The Apostle Paul, also single, regarded marriage as an act of last resort for those unable to contain their animal lust. It is better to marry than to burn with passion, says the Apostle, in one of the most lukewarm endorsements of a treasured institution ever uttered. Would any contemporary heterosexual married couple, who likely woke up on their wedding day harboring some optimistic and newfangled ideas about gender equality and romantic love, turn to the Bible as a how-to script? All right. So there you have it, right? Looking at this... So they're looking at it from afar, just pulling a couple things out of here and say, would you really want to take this at at face value? Now we shouldn't be surprised to read stuff like that in Newsweek. right? Newsweek's not going to be like, the word of God is authoritative and you should bow your knee and follow Jesus. right? That's not Newsweek's vision statement. That's not their agenda. So we expect that type of sentiment to come at us from a lost world, but What's more dangerous is when this mentality of undercutting the word of God comes into the church, and from quote-unquote evangelical pulpits, you have men who are taking shots at the authority of God's word. When that happens, why this topic is so important for us is our, our roots need to be deep enough that when we hear things of that nature, we can identify it. And we're not taken captive by it. We're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes at us. An unfortunate example of this showed up about nine months ago in one of the more prominent megachurches in the U.S. where Andy Stanley is the teaching pastor. I'm not here to make any definitive statements on where this man stands before the Lord, but if I knew anyone who attended his church or listened to his teaching, I would encourage them to flee from it immediately after these statements that he makes in this sermon. Here's what Stanley said in a recent sermon. If the Bible is the foundation of your faith, here's the problem. It is all or nothing. Christianity becomes a fragile house of cards religion. It is next to impossible to defend the entire Bible. He goes on to say, appealing to post-Christian people, note, notice this, on the basis of the authority of a scripture has essentially the same effect as a Muslim imam appealing to you on the basis of the authority of the Quran. You may or not may not already know what it says, but it doesn't matter. The Quran doesn't carry any weight with you. You don't view the Quran as authoritative. Okay, do you see what that, the implication there is of that statement? Is that we can't appeal to people on the basis of the authority of God's word if they don't believe it's authoritative. So it's a subjective authority. It's only, it's only good for people if they believe that it's authoritative. Is that what we believe? No. We preach the word of God because it is authoritative and it shows up as authoritative in people's lives as it is preached and taught. Stanley goes on and says, "Close to half our population does not view the Bible as authoritative either. If you're trying to reach people with an undergraduate degree or greater, over half your target audience will not be moved by the by should say what the Bible says or no, by the Bible says, the Bible teaches, God's word is clear, or anything along those lines." That's what we need to be more concerned about, not Newsweek articles, and that's why this topic is so vital, because when you hear things like that, is your, are the roots of your faith in the word of God deep enough to handle statements like that and to know how to interact with it? They show us, statements like this show us, why this topic is so important. If we're not grounded in the truth of the Bible, we can be led astray by such teaching. Uh, If you're interested in a good response to what Stanley said here, Al Mohler has a great little article on this and also the Gospel Coalition. Jared Wilson wrote a really good uh, response to this as well. Uh, Very sound responses and uh, loving responses, I would say. Another benefit of studying this topic is to give you a solid foundation of confidence that the Bible you read is truly the Word of God. And therefore, because it is truly the Word of God, it is to be obeyed joyfully. And I say obeyed for a very specific reason. We can claim that we believe that the Bible is God's very word to us, but if we don't obey it, do we really believe it? Now, now, I'm not speaking about sinless perfection. None of us are there. But we're giving ourselves to the word of God continuously because it's true and because we want to walk in obedience to all that God says. Uh, in the May 29, 2007 edition of the Washington Times... 47% of Americans said the Bible was the inspired word of God. Right? Survey went on to say, this is interesting, Okay, so 47% of Americans said the Bible was the inspired word of God. The survey went on to say that 48% of Protestants believe that the Bible was the inspired word of God. Just kind of goes into some Republicans, Democrats, 78% of Republicans, 69% of Democrats says the Bible is totally accurate, and all of its teachings. This is according to a survey of about a 1,000 adults by the Barna Group, which is a marketing firm. So many people can say, now if that were true, our country would look radically different than it currently does. Right? So many people can say that they believe the Bible is the word of God. But again, how do we know whether or not we believe it? If we really believe it, we seek to walk in obedience to it. Our lifestyle is one that is sought to be a lifestyle of obedience to God's word. That characterizes who we are, which includes repentance when we fail to obey it. That's obeying the word of God. James 1.22 here. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right? So we can give ourselves to the Word of God. We can say, absolutely, I believe this is the authoritative Word of God. Everything in it is totally accurate. It's inspired, given to us by the Lord. But then if it just goes on our shelf Sunday afternoon and we walk according to our own ways Monday through Saturday, do we really believe what it says? Jesus said in Luke 6, 46 through 49, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me, and notice this, and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So, if obedience doesn't follow that profession of belief in God's word, we must ask ourselves whether our profession is a valid one. And again, I want to be clear here, as Christians, we're we're on the road of sanctification with our eye continually on God glorification so we don't obey perfectly yet however our desire is to obey the word of god perfectly amen? amen right when you arise every day oh god if i could just walk in your ways this day what a joy it would be right that's that's the heartbeat of a of a christian so this topic is important to remind ourselves of the reality of what this book is that God has given to us and how that should affect every area of our lives. All right, any comments or questions before we go on to another reason we should study? Um, yes, Esther. Right, so so with the, the comment by Amy Stanley. like I, I do see how it's from, but it wasn't seem as shocking as all that, I guess. I understand what he's saying. Yeah. So, uh, not necessarily, but you can you can go back and look at the sermon from which that those quotes came. Um, the Gospel Coalition, if you go on the Gospel Coalition and look at, uh, just type in Andy Stanley. Jared Wilson has a comment by him. And then Al Mohler as well, if you go to Al Mohler, he's written an article article about that. This and you can recent, see. Right? This is recent, this is August of last year. Yep.
1: I, I think, in my opinion, I've always liked Andy Stanley very much. Yeah. Yeah. Two or three years as I listen to him. I pick up things like this. And so I think in my opinion, my response is to pray for him Yeah, no doubt. Because I think he's been he's been influenced by different things like we all can be. Yes, exactly. Like the world and popularity and stuff like that. Definitely. So I think we need to pray for him because he didn't start out
0: no. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm not sure. That's a good question. That's a good question. Not defensible. Yep. I don't believe it's truly
2: playing to um presenia as a banner. Yes. Or not necessarily that so we need to have yeah, that.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Sure, here we get talked the real thing, but we also yep. need to discern that out there. Yep. And, and we all have radios, Yep. We're all exposed to that, so we right. can't say, hey, I'll grab the two We have to know, you know, if, if you call yourself a Christian, well, I need to check out really what do
1: you mean by that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Our, our guard should never be down, no matter who we're listening to, in a sense. I mean, there's people that we trust, certainly, but we recognize that we're listening to fallible men interpret the word of an infallible God. So we need to listen closely and make sure that we test everything that we hear. And again, I, I'm not saying that uh, Andy Stanley is lost or he's not a believer. I'm just saying when people make statements like that and they're cutting out the word of God and the authority of it, um, it's never going to lead to anything good. It's never going to lead to anything good. I'd
1: just like to, to tag on what you mentioned about the Barna poll. Yes. I think if you... Polls basically... Are only created for one reason, yes. and that's to change our belief system.
0: Right, or right.
1: Change what we think is correct. Yeah. And if you look at the Barna Pole and some of the yeah. outcomes of some of the things that have come from the Barna Pole, yeah about how man should be uh, desiring certain ways, sermons should be held, preached only short, of how. Uh, it should be more of a market-driven church. I mean, it right. goes on and on and yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think the authority has to be our work. Yes. So when we start listening to polls, I don't know, I always a little red flag goes up and says, wait a minute. Yeah. I love uh, what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, that you have to think constantly, because it's very easy to be fed information, and pretty right. soon you begin to accept things. You right. Can't. You yeah. have to say, wait a minute, let me right. look at this more closely. Right. What does the word say?
0: Right. Yep, absolutely. Amen. Amen. Yes, Reste. So I remember hearing um, that there was a big debate in the Catholic Church uh, close to the, the beginning of uh, last century about whether or not they should start singing more songs not in Latin.
2: Uh, based around uh, the very thought that is it,
0: is that a marketing move that, that we're appealing to more people or are we actually reaching people better? Right. And this was apparently when they, the postmodern Christianity movement was starting. Mm. Right. Interesting. So, uh,
2: what are your thoughts on where the line is uh, where you're saying, I'm doing marketing or I'm yeah. trying to reach
0: people. Right. Well, I think how we have to understand as we look at the scripture, how does the scripture tell us that we are to reach people ultimately? And that's through the faithful preaching of the word of God. So that can look different in certain contexts as far as how you might be doing that. Interestingly, when Arnie was here the last couple of weeks, um, we had dinner with him on Thursday night and we were kind of talking about the culture in the Philippines and how that dynamic in the Philippines is a little bit different than it is in America. And um, his, his style of outreach might look a little bit different than ours does here because of the cultural context. But what is true for anywhere that we go is the word of God is the basis upon which we appeal to people once we get into those cultural contexts and, you know, we're meeting with people for three months and building relationships, or you can just kind of walk out on the street and kind of talk to people. Americans are more, much more open to that, to just go up and talk to somebody on the street and they'll be willing to talk to you, whereas in the Philippines, Arnie was saying, you can't really do that. you got to really, you know, interact with people more in your homes and, and things of that nature. Um, so I don't think the issue is as much, I think you have to just understand the context in which you're in to know uh, how you, the, the way that you want to try to reach people, but what you're going to reach them with remains the same no matter where you go. And that's, that's the word of God. So there needs to be flexibility in that, in that cultural context, but never flexibility on how we reach them with the, with the truth of God's word. So, Peter. <laughs> Yeah. That's right.
2: That sort of uh, mentality where it's authoritative to believers, but non believers, it's not authoritative. Right. And if you take that, like, further, on the last day, he doesn't separate sheep from goats based on whether sheep believe. Yes. Uh, and the goats, even though they really don't believe, come anyways. Yes. He separates them because all of mankind is under the authority of the
0: word. Amen. Said. Okay. okay, good. Let's, uh, let's go on to this next section of why we should study this topic. Having looked at the attacks that uh, have taken place on the Word of God and are still and will always, uh, men will continue to twist the Scripture. Um, but also another reason that we should stop, uh, study this topic is that our joy and sanctification rest in God sovereignly working through our reading and studying of His Word. If you're not fully convinced that the Bible is the Word of God, you're not going to read it or study it as you ought, and your walk with Christ will consequently be weakened. Which is one of the reasons in our the preamble in our Constitution we have this statement that Faith Baptist Church exists to see the knowledge and love "...of the glory of God grow in us, increase among us, and spread through us by this vehicle, as we faithfully proclaim the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ." Okay, so the knowledge of God and love for Him, and consequently our joy and our sanctification um, are going to arise out of this, as the Word of God is opened and taught there is great benefit in studying uh, this topic for the joy and sanctification of believers. Um, and did you have a question, Robert? I kind of saw your hand go halfway up. He said our joy and
2: sanctification. Yes. Resting God sovereignly.
0: Working through our reading and studying of his word. Okay. Uh, in his book, Desiring God, John Piper gives a list of the benefits and the power of God's Word in our lives, and I'd like to share uh, some of those with you. I found it very helpful. One of the things that Piper talks about regarding the Word of God is the Bible is your life. The Bible is your life. Deuteronomy 32, verses 46 and 47, if somebody can read those for us.
1: Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may
0: command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. By this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Okay. It is no empty word for you, but your very life. To detach yourself from the word of God, and we all know this by experience. Separate yourself from the word of God and watch your joy and sanctification plummet. Right? Right? We see that happen. And I don't mean joy in the sense of you're always walking around with a chipper step and a smile on your face and everything. I mean in the midst of sorrow and trial, there's this deep-rooted joy in God that you can rejoice in even in the midst of that trial. So the word of God is not something to be trifled with is what we see here. It's it's a matter of life and death. If you, scre- if you treat the scriptures as empty words, you see in this passage you forfeit life so our spiritual life begins by the word of god yes norm
2: parallel john 15 verse 5 yeah says, amen without me you can do nothing yes so he is divine, and if we don't connect ourselves and the sap of the word of god doesn't come does yes. through us there is no
0: that's right exactly and in john 15 there what does he do is he, he ties that in. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Right? So that's the, the abiding there. Okay, so our spiritual life begins by the word of God. James 1 Of his own will he brought us forth. And then watch the vehicle. What's the means by which he brought us forth? By the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, of his own will, and we talked about this in our last study of soteriology, uh, when we looked at, you know, in eternity past, God chose us to be his own. But how does he bring that about? How does he make us his own? It's by the word of truth. 1 Peter 1, verses 22 through 25, if I can have somebody read that for us. statement for the Word of God there, right? Verse 23, you were born again, how? Through the living and abiding Word of God, right? So the Word of God is what is what brings you to life, to understand the truth of who God is and who you are and what Jesus has accomplished. But not only does it begin by the Word, it continues by the Word, right? Continues by the Word. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus, if you remember this interaction is being tempted by Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, now notice this, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word of God has life in it. There's nothing we should just skim over in the Bible. Every word comes from the mouth of God. Therefore, it's important. It's vital. Yes. I am so guilty of
1: this. But I will
2: skim through sometimes um, the genealogies.
0: Yes. It yes. is hard for me <laughs> Yep.
2: to see the
0: significance of it in, yeah. in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I agree. It's, it's tough to, especially when you get through names that you're like, I can't even pronounce these. <laughs> How am I going to... A lot of guys' names I can't pronounce. Okay. Um, but I think that's where... <laughs> That's where biblical scholars become really important, like guys who have given themselves to the, you know, just think of a a book that, like Numbers or something like that, that you might go over a little more quickly. And this is here for a reason, right? I think that's what we need to stop and pause. And I have to remind myself is, okay, this isn't abstract. It's not just thrown in by God, like, I want you to skip over this part of my word, right? Uh, but, but I'm with you, Amber. You know, it's, it's easy to just read through that and be like, all right, I'm sure this is important somehow, but I don't want to take the time to dig in and find out why. But that's where a good commentary of somebody who's devoted their life to the study of numbers or something like that um, can come in real handy. And then it's amazing, right, how you get into studies like that, and you're like, I'm blown away by the richness that I see yeah. here. And and how I didn't think this had any application in my life or bearing upon me, you know, at all. But yeah, it is, it is easy, to, easy to do that. Uh, but this, this passage is really helpful to renew our minds that every word that comes from the mouth of God has life in it, that man lives by. Okay, go, going on here, Piper talks about the word of God uh, brings forth and sustains spiritual life because it brings forth and sustains faith. Okay, that, that's the other benefit to it. It brings forth and sustains faith. John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But, and then notice what John says here. Okay? Here's, here's my thesis statement. This is why I wrote this. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay? So, it brings forth faith. The reading of the word of God brings forth faith. Romans 10, 17. So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of God. Okay? Okay? So it brings forth that faith. It also sustains it, right? You go back to the Bible. Your mind is renewed. Your faith is strengthened. It goes deeper into who God is. The faith that starts our life in Christ and by which we go on living comes from hearing the word of God. And listen, there is no true joy in God without faith in God. And there's no faith without the initial hearing and the continual hearing of God's word. Look at Romans 15, verse 13, and see the connection here between our joy in God and His Word. Somebody want to read that for us? Romans
1: 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Okay.
0: What, what a great statement here. Go ahead, Norm.
2: There are some uh, translations that actually will uh, render it. Uh, fill you with all joy and peace as
0: you believe. Yes, so exactly. So
2: it implies that one is tied with the other. You yeah. can have joy without the belief and you can have the belief without the
0: belief. Totally agree. Yes, exactly. I think that's the point. That's So you notice how uh, the God of hope, he'll fill you with joy and peace in believing. In believing, Right? so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So joy, peace, hope are all tied up with belief, and that belief comes through the word of God. Uh, Philippians 1, 25. Paul speaking, remember right before this, I'd rather depart and go be with Christ, that's far better. Convinced of this, that I'm going to remain, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Okay? So Paul's here. I'm a teacher to build up your faith in Christ. And how is that faith built up? By the Word of God. Okay? So our joy is, is connected with that. Also, we see this aspect of hope being associated with the Scriptures. Okay? Our hope is directly tied to us giving ourselves to the Word of God. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. See the connection there? Through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. And these are things that were written in the past. So that that should always be our mindset as I flip to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, whatever I'm opening, right? And I'm reading and I'm thinking these things were written for my instruction to increase my hope in God. Mm-hmm. Psalm 140 or 119 verse 49. Somebody want to read that for us? Remember your word to your
1: servant
0: in which you have made me. Okay. So notice the connection there. Remember your word to your servant, in which okay, your word, you have made me hope. That's that's where my hope is. So all of scripture aims to create hope in the hearts of God's people. Also, as we study truth, it makes us free, right? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now, certainly that's true when we first come to Christ. But it doesn't leave us there, does it? It doesn't just say, okay, now you're free. Now there's got to be some other thing that's going to carry you and continue to set you free. No. If you abide in my word, if you stay there, if you remain there, you're going to know the truth, and that truth is going to set you free. And just from experience, I think anybody who's been in the faith for any number of years can testify to the power of God's word setting you free still this day and continuing to purify your heart and turn you away from sin. Indeed, that's a daily battle, is to give ourselves to the word of God that it wouldn't, sin would not get a hold within us. And the freedom, obviously, that Jesus is referring to here is the freedom from sin, or to put it positively, the freedom for holiness, which we see in Second Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, if somebody can read that for us. Look at verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Well, where, where do we find those promises? In the word of God, right? In the scriptures. So that through them, those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. You're being conformed into the image of Christ. And as you give yourself to the study and the reading of God's word, that happens, right? You become more and more like the one that you're reading about as he has caused us to be freed from the corruption in this world because of sinful desire another benefit to the word is that it makes us wise unto salvation and in salvation right second timothy 3 verses 14 and 15 paul's testimony to timothy here but as for you Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, and then notice this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All right. So that's where our, our trust is. Is when I'm talking to somebody about salvation, I'm not trying to come up with the latest analogy that I can think of to make this more palatable to them. I want to explain the scriptures, the Word of God, because it is through these that they're able to become wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. That's what the Word of God does. It makes wise the simple, or the ignorant, or the foolish. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Our eyes are open more to the truth as we give ourselves to the truth. Psalm 119, verse 130 The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. That's the power of the word of God. And we know this by experience as well. And then Proverbs 1, 5. The beginning of this. The the Proverbs of Solomon. And then notice, here's, here's why these are given. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Right? So it's not like, I've already become wise unto salvation. I don't need that. No. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, I, obtain guidance. Right, So this is wisdom you have, understanding that you have, and you're building upon that wisdom and that understanding. That's, that's the power and the benefit of giving ourselves to the study of God's word. And then the sixth and final benefit I want to mention is that as we study this topic, as we study the word, it grants us comfort and assurance. Oh, how the word of God is like a bomb to our souls in the midst of affliction. As we walk through this world fighting against the sin that remains within us and the temptations that are outside, the psalmist said this, this, notice, this is my comfort in my affliction. So notice that there's, there's comfort in affliction. Those are not opposed to each other. right? This is my comfort in my affliction. So I'm in affliction and I have comfort. How is that happening? What, what is that comfort that your promise gives me life? All right There's the comfort. Verse 52. "When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O oh Lord. Isn't that a great passage? So, I give myself to the thinking of God's Word and meditation upon it, and I'm comforted, I'm strengthened by the promises that God has given me in His Word. And then 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Notice that, you believe. I write these things to you who believe. You're a believer but your assurance gets rocked every now and then. I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life, right? That's the power of God's word. It brings us comfort and assurance. So hopefully you can see why this topic is important for us to to study and to give our minds to, that we might be filled up with the truth of God's word and that the understanding of our minds gives way to joyful obedience to God's commands. And in this, it demonstrates our love for God, our love for one another, and our love for the lost world that surrounds us. I want to conclude by sharing with you the testimony of Martin Luther and his bold stance for the Word of God. And this is appropriate in light of this being the 500th anniversary of the dawn of the Reformation. Luther was summoned before the secular and ecclesiastical rulers of his day, who had the power to put him to death for his view and his teachings concerning the word of God. And the Archbishop of Trier asked him this question, Do you or do you not repudiate your books and the errors which they contain? And Luther replied this way, Since then, your majesty and your lordship's desire a simple reply, I will answer. Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything For to do so, to go against conscience, is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. There is a man, along with many others throughout the history of the church, who have stood upon the authority of the Word of God. These weren't men who looked at this and said, I hope this is right, or, I think most of it's right, but there's probably some areas that aren't. These are men who were fully convinced that every word that we read is given to us by the authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. After this reply from Luther, he left the council. Nobody knew what happened to him. Most figured that he was probably kidnapped and killed for his response at the Diet of Worms the famous artist Albrecht Durer wrote this in his diary concerning the disappearance of Luther. He said this, I know not whether he lives or is murdered, but in any case he has suffered for the Christian truth. If we lose this man, who has written more clearly than any other in centuries, may God grant his spirit to another. Oh God, if Luther is dead, Who will henceforth explain to us the gospel? What might he not have written for us in the next 10 or 20 years? Well, the reality was that he wasn't dead, and he would go on for the next 25 years to uphold and propagate the truth of God's word along with all the other reformers that had been shackled in ecclesiastical tyranny for so long. And, and how we should pray as we dive into this study over the next 17 weeks that we would treasure the word of God as much as they did. That we would be willing to die for it if necessary as they were and as some of them did. And that is what this class aims to do, is to strengthen your joy and your confidence in the word of God to that end. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's close in, in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time that we've been able to spend looking at the importance of this topic. Father, we confess that our lack of obedience at times betrays our profession, that we believe that what we hold in our hands is the very word of God. And so we ask that as we study together over these next three or four months that you would grant the roots of our faith in your word to go deeper and that truly it would manifest itself in a greater love for you displayed through obedience, that your name would be glorified. Oh, Father, how we need to stand upon the truth of your word as we watch a society around us that continues to deny it, and we watch some within the church deny it as well. Give us grace, Father. We're weak, we're feeble, we're unable in and of ourselves to hold fast to the word of God as we ought, and so we beg for your spirit through your word to strengthen our faith in it, that in all things you would be glorified, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.